Hello, this is Donnie Foster, the pastor of the Journey Church in Fort Worth, Texas. My prayer is the message you are about to hear will be a source of blessing and encouragement in your life. At the conclusion, I'll share a few closing words and a prayer. May the Lord bless you as you listen. Donnie is absolutely my best friend. We joke around, best friend, best friend in ministry, whatever you want to say. And so I was absolutely pleased when he called and asked me to come speak to you guys. Um, I told him that I love to come into venues and mess people's theology up and then walk away and let the pastor come back and fix the mess. So uh, they harass me all the time about wearing salmon shirts, and so I wore one for his benefit on the video thing. A um, couple things real quick. I want to say uh, it was highly gracious, the little thing y'all put out saying, you know, advertising I was speaking this morning. If you read that thing last night, 100% fake news, just letting you know, okay? So... Uh, it said something like good speaker and challenging and all that, and so it got you here, so it worked, but uh, now we're going to see the truth. But with that said, I do want to say one thing before we get into our text, and we'll be in Genesis 35 all the way through 50, uh, and we're just going to highlight some of it and talk about the stuff that y'all been going through as far as embracing life. Um, let me say this, though, real quick to you guys. Uh, as somebody coming in outside source and being able to do so without your staff here, uh, guys, be sure and pray for your staff. I know it sounds so um, generic just to say or, or just like common knowledge or like you should be. But let me explain something to you right now, okay? So we are actually living in a season where pastors are essentially, and staff members, period, they're the most essential, non-essential people when it comes to our country. Let me put it this way. We have built within everybody in the past two years due to the pandemic the ability to just live stream our Jesus moments. And so essentially what has happened is there are much better teachers than most of us out there that are pastors. Uh, there are guys who are gifted in that way that, that I will never even be close to. And what has happened is during the pandemic with everybody shutting down and staying home, we have come to the point where we have started to consume, uh, just like we would any other arena, our spirituality. We will watch this guy or we'll listen to this podcast or we'll do this Bible study. And then, as, uh, and then as we do that, we no longer see the need actually a lot of times to be in person. I know you guys are here, so it's kind of like I'm talking to somebody who's not here. But here's what I want to say. There is a Bible verse in the uh, New Testament. It talks about in the last days. And, and I'm, you know, me and Donnie debate on eschatology or all that fun end time stuff occasionally and where we're last days, this or that. But I think on some regard we're in there somewhere. And it says that in the end that there will come people who have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. So this is not even the notes or anything. It's just a little snippet about how you guys can pray for your pastor and be around and listen. What that verse basically means is this. We know that the power is the Holy Spirit. We know that that's where power comes from. Now, listen, here's what has happened. People have got a sample of Jesus via a message online, via a podcast, via something else. But they don't come together as much now or see the need to on a Sunday morning basis or corporately. And that's where the power is magnified. It's, it's, like a, it's like a battery system. You see, if I take a AA battery out to my car and I hook it up and I turn the ignition, what's going to happen? Nothing. But if I put a ton of AA batteries in like an encased thing and series them all together and then turn the ignition, believe it or not, it would work. The reason why is because it is grouped together. There's a bigger power source in that moment. That's what coming together as a body is. It is a power source. So here's what I'm going to say. 
Um, you guys don't understand, like, we take this personal a lot of times as pastors when we see who was here before pandemic, then who's not, who's fallen off, and it's a body blow. And as a result, pastors and youth pastors and things else, they're dropping out of the ministry like flies right now. Churches closing their doors at an alarming rate, all that good stuff, okay? So what I'm saying is when your pastor gets back, what I challenge you to do is not only pray for him on a weekly basis, but, hey, from time to time, some of you men in here, by the way, I like to call out men in my church, so if you're a guy in here, sorry for you this morning. <laughs> but if you're a guy in here, okay, I know we like to use funny pronouns for people nowadays, but anyway, if you're a guy in here, I challenge you to do this. When your pastor gets back on either a monthly, bi-monthly, quarterly basis, at the end of the service, where are you at? Brandon, that's you, right? At the end of the service, when you come up and you do your thing and you dismiss everything, just call the men up and have them lay hands on your pastor and end your service simply by praying over him in person. And I promise you, and not just him, your whole staff, I promise you, it will do wonders not only for his psyche, his spirit, but everything else. Because it tells him that it meant enough to you guys to do something that's uncomfortable. Because let's be honest, it's uncomfortable putting your hand on another man, right? This is weird. So, but then even praying, too, in public. And listen, if you guys would do that, I promise you it will do something for him that will help grow him. By the way, that was not in my notes. I got seven pages. We're not getting out early. So just know <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> He picked the wrong guy to come speak. Actually, he's smart. He picked the right guy because here's what happens. I go long, and then when he comes back, y'all are going to be like, oh, thank gosh you're back. That dude didn't shut up. So anyway, if you'll go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 35. I, I joked with him because there like there's a running joke at camp. I speak a lot at our youth camp from time to time when we do rotation. And there's kind of a running joke that I'm the long-winded one who goes long. And uh, I'm like, Donnie, you, you picked all the Bible characters in the weeks that y'all are doing this series that have like one or two chapters, and you gave me the one that has 15. I was like, that was real smart. <laughs> so, but in Genesis, I'm going to go ahead and sum up some of this story, and then we'll read certain snippets, and we'll get to stuff. So this is the story of Joseph, of course, okay? So Joseph, his story... Uh, 15 chapters long, 35 all the way through 50, with different interludes here and there that allows him to grow in age before you get to the next chapter, okay? Uh, and what we see is it starts with there's this promise. There's this promise to Abraham and to Sarah that they are going to be the parents of a large nation. And, of course, we know that that promise doesn't come to fruition for some time. And then, of course, Isaac comes along, and then Isaac has two boys, Jacob and Esau. And Esau has the oldest son. He is the birthright. He is the one the lineage is supposed to go through. He is the one that actually Isaac prefers. Jacob's more the mama's boy. Isaac is the manly man. We'd have got along great. He likes to go out in the woods. He's hairy. I don't have that going for me, but still, he likes to hunt. He likes to fish. He, he does all these things. And then Isaac's the guy, or, or Jacob's the guy who sits back and writes songs and hangs out with mom all the time. And so, you know, anyway, if that's you, sorry, it's just not me. And so we see this take place, and all of a sudden Isaac, or, uh, Esau comes back from a hunting trip. He has not killed something, which tells me, first off, he needed to stay out there longer. But comes back. He's hungry. Jacob's made bowl of soup. And Esau basically gives up his birthright, the promise that God has given that the lineage will be through you for nothing more than a bowl of soup. 
Jacob actually means deceiver. He's somebody who, who was good at lying and tricking and all these kinds of things. And so there is this rift between the two of them. They split up. They go about their way. They finally come back together later on. Jacob thinks Esau is going to murder him. God says, no, it's okay. I'm going to work through you. And then all of a sudden, Jacob has his father-in-law, who is one of the worst villains in all of Scripture. Jacob sees this woman and says, man, that girl is smoking. That, I'm going to wife that woman up right there. And so he talks to the dad. He's like, hey, this girl over here, Rachel, <laughs> she's got it going on. And he says, oh, really? You like her? Uh, yes, I do. Well, what will it cost me to, to acquire her, you know, to arrange this marriage? And his father-in-law says, work for me for seven years and she's yours. All right. Done. So he works for seven years. On his wedding day, I guess they have some kind of weird veil thing that you don't get to look through or something. He gets up, gets married, goes in that night. I'm guessing she made sure the candles were out or something. They go through the extracurricular activity of marriage. He wakes up the next morning and rolls over and is like, ah, you're not Rachel. You're the unattractive sister. I didn't work seven years for you. And the father-in-law says, what's wrong? What did I do wrong? And he's like, you married me to the wrong sister. What do you mean? You gave me the ugly one. <laughs> it's in the, the Aramaic somewhere, so we can say that. But anyway, although it's Hebrew at that time. And so essentially, in that moment, he negotiates with the father-in-law and has to work another seven years. Now, I'm going to say this. I love my wife dearly. I don't know if any woman's worth 14 years of work. Good gosh. This is craziness. So he works for 14 years straight, finally gets the woman he loves, and then here's the problem. The woman he truly loves, she has trouble having kids at first. So the other woman, the less attractive one, she ain't got no problem with kids. They just popping out one after the other. But the one he really loves, he can't have a kid with for a while. Finally, he does. So this boy is special. Now, you also throw in the fact that it's not just the two wives he's married to, but because they try to one-up each other, they have maidservants. So when they're pregnant, they're like, oh, well, knock up my maidservant. Have another kid. You know, like, it's a, it's a weird ordeal. Listen, there's a secondary theme in Scripture if you've never seen it. One woman, good. More than one woman, terrible. <laughs> never works out terrible idea. If you're a teenage boy and you think you can date more than one, you're an idiot. Okay? In Jesus' name, you're an idiot. Stop. Right now. In fact, don't date any of them. But anyway. So reality is, he has multiple children with the less attractive wife. He has multiple children with her servant. He has multiple children with the wife he loves, her, her servant. And all of a sudden, he has Joseph. Joseph comes along and because this is the kid born of the woman who he truly loves, there's something special about this boy. He's the youngest one. And you get in chapter 35, and you'll see there in chapter 35 where God renames Jacob. His wife passes away. All these crazy things go on. 36, you see Esau's descendants. 37, you get to, and look at it real quick said, Jacob lived in the land of his father, sojourning in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was 
pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to the father. And Israel loved Joseph, and remember renamed him Jacob, Israel, loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. Another secondary theme, if you're a parent, do not have favorites. It ends badly, okay? Now, my kids ain't in here. I can tell you I 100% have a favorite. We got three boys and one baby girl. That baby girl's precious than boys. I'll trade every one of them. They're honoring. But anyway, you're not supposed to have favorites, but I can. But in this instance, what's going on is J- Joseph is basically a shepherd with all his brothers. He's going out pasturing the flock, as it's called. There's a problem. You see, he goes to a field where there is a set of brothers who are not of Rachel or Leah. So in other words, if you wanted to look outside in, these would almost be like half-breed family members. Okay, they're, they're, daughter, they're sons of the servants, not sons of the wives. So there is this whole bloodline thing going on here that's a little bit different. And Joseph, this 17-year-old punk kid, sees his 20, 30-year-old brothers doing things wrong, goes back to dad and says, hey, pops, was out in the field, saw these brothers of mine, they're doing something wrong, they need to be doing it right, and they're not, and things didn't go well. Now, we have a saying for this. The snitches get, man, y'all are jacked up, you Fort Worth people, why are y'all trying to stab people? No. Joseph winds up in a ditch. Snitches get ditches, not stitches, get real, come on now. Golly. Verse 24, and they took him and threw him in a pit, and the pit was empty, and there was no water in it. So what goes on here, and we're jumping through a lot of it, because like I said, he gave me way too many chapters to preach, and and I'm trying to get you guys out sometime. Sorry, I didn't even notice there's a clock there, but I'm going to make sure I don't notice it anymore. But anyway, (laughs) what's going on here is Joseph not only is the favorite, but then Jacob takes it a step further. See, back then, we have all these clothes now, like when you go school shopping, you go with your parents, and you go somewhere, and they buy a whole bunch of clothes, and you wear them, and the ones you get made fun of, you don't wear again, and then the ones you don't, you wear again. Your parents are like, why do you never wear that? Oh, no reason. But anyway, that's what takes place, right? And his parents, listen, I know, it drives me nuts. I'm a blue jean kind of guy. I'll wear blue jean 110 degrees, don't care. I'm from West Texas, we wear blue jeans, we don't read well, we talk funny, It's just who we are. And my boys think blue jeans are like wearing cactus. It drives me nuts. I just want to shake them in Jesus' name sometimes. But anyway, the point is, back then you had basically one thing that you wore, outer garment. Okay, this robe or tunic as they would call it. So you'd have all your stuff underneath that maybe one or two, three pairs of that you wash frequently because it's hot. But you had one coat or in other words, what we would see nowadays as a robe. And everybody else, all the other brothers, they had like brown, gray, black, orange, all just basic. But then all of a sudden, here comes 17-year-old, and his is multicolored. His has taken time to make possibly different materials, different dyes, all kinds of stuff that signified this kid has value You scrubs don't. 
Then to make matters worse, the 17-year-old began to have dreams. And in these dreams, his brothers were bowing down to him. And then like a brilliant 17-year-old with full of wisdom, guess what he did? He told them. Like, listen, if you're 17 and you're the smallest of the brothers at this point, and they're all in their 20s and 30s and muscled up from working sheep and stuff, and all of a sudden you've got a dream where they're on their knees calling you the man, don't tell them. But he did. Then he had another dream, even worse. Not only is his brothers bound down to him, but his mom and dad are too. And this kid was stupid enough to tell his dad about the dream. Dad, I had a dream. You know what? I was the man, not you. I got a 14-year-old son. He tries this from time to time. Finds himself prostrate on the floor somehow afterwards. <laughs> we call it aggressive negotiations in my house. We know there's certain things we can't say on live stream anymore. But the point is, he exposed these things to them. Of course, there is this natural hatred. If you read through chapter 37, it actually uses that terminology. That his blood brothers hated. And they threw him into a pit, and they waited for a group of people to come along, and they sold him. And this group of wandering people then go to Egypt, and they sell him there. You get to chapter 38, uh, and it's like the worst soap opera ever. Just don't even read that if you don't have a stomach. Like, it's gross. Okay? So anyway, uh, Young and the Restless, Days of Our Lives, origin story, right there, 38. The whole point that is kind of in there is to, for two purposes, one, to show that Judah, who is the lineage and lion tribe of Jesus, along with Matthew, you really want to know how jacked up Jesus' lineage is, go read Matthew. Go read that just begat so-and-so, begat all that good stuff in the first couple chapters. There are some scandalous folks in his lineage. And the point is to prove this chapter, one of the points is to prove that God can work through people who are messed up. Another point in the passage is to give us time. Because while this story is going on, Joseph's growing up. So it's an interlude here as Moses is writing this passage, this history. You get to chapter 39. We're going to read a few verses there. Chapter 39, if you look in verse 9, the back half of it, it says... How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Now, if you don't know what's going on, Joseph has essentially been sold into slavery, taken to Egypt, and for lack of a better terminology for us to understand, it would be like the chief of police purchased him. Okay, so this, this person who's like a magistrate type person, chief of police, purchases Joseph, makes him a servant in his household, and what he begins to notice is everything Joseph does flourishes. It works out. God has somehow put something on this man that is growing him in a way that whatever he comes in contact with just works good. So like anybody, you know, if you uh, had a stockbroker, you had four or five of them, and one of them makes you money, and the other ones call you with bad news all the time, well, guess what? You don't turn all your assets to the one with bad news. You relinquish him to the one who knows what he's doing. So he puts Joseph in charge of his whole household because him being a prominent figure in the society is constantly away from the house 
working in the community and away from his dealings. So while he's gone, he wants to see his house flourish, so Joseph is in charge. Then all of a sudden, this man named Potiphar, his wife, notices something about Joseph. Not only is he a good leader, not only is everything he's doing turns out right, this dude's handsome. Like, he's a good-looking dude. And so you read here, this is her first attempt. She tries to get him to, uh, well, let's just see the right way to put it here. Y'all are all old enough. Yeah, he's, she's trying to, you know, spend quality time with Joseph. Verse 10, and as she spoke to Joseph day after day, in other words, girl ain't letting up. By the way, Joseph's younger here. So, cougars are a bad thing, okay? But, <laughs> verse 10, he would not, that's why I told y'all to turn your phones off. He might would have called on that one, so. He would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or to be with her. But one day, he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house. And she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. That doesn't mean take a nap. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out the house. And you jump down, verse number 17 in the middle, it says, she's now talking to her husband, the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us. Now here's a secondary theme real quick, okay? Why are women always blaming men when they mess something up? Well, Y'all didn't laugh so much at that one. We better move on. <laughs> Like, we had Eve already in chapter 3, and now we got this. But anyway, <laughs> goodness. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out the house. And as soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. Now, in this time frame, If he really thought Joseph was genuinely guilty of what she just claimed he did, the penalty was not prison. The penalty was death. Somewhere along the way, in the back of his mind, it doesn't say in Scripture, Potiphar had an idea what was going on. And so he simply puts Joseph in prison instead of to death. And you move on and you get to chapter 40 and 41. And what you see here is as Joseph is in prison, the warden sees that everything he does works out for some reason once again. Puts him in charge of the whole prison. I've never, I've visited some prisons for ministry purposes before. I've never seen one where there is a prison mate who actually is over everybody in the prison. This is kind of foreign to me. Uh, and so he begins to basically run the prison. And there are these two individuals there who had worked for the Pharaoh, who are now in prison because they had messed up, spending out some time there. They have some dreams. Joseph's like, cool, I had some dreams before. Let's have a conversation. So they begin to tell him these dreams they had. He interprets their dreams. They come to fruition. 
They're taken out of prison. Everything happens. Next thing you know, they forget about Joseph when he told them, hey, listen, when these things happen, I, I really would appreciate it if when you have an audience with the Pharaoh, just maybe you would have a conversation with him about the fact that I really don't belong here. But they forget that promise. And then all of a sudden, God gives Pharaoh some dreams. And sounds familiar to one of the men who was already had his dream interpreted by Joseph. Pharaoh can't find anybody to distinguish what's going on with this dream. And this guy speaks up and says, well, there is this dude in prison. His name is Joseph. And I had a dream, and this other guy had a dream, and he interpreted them, and it come to pass, maybe, maybe we should pull this guy out and let you talk to him. So Pharaoh says, bring this guy to me. So he comes to him. He interprets his dream. Pharaoh, of course, tells him then in those, those chapters there, um, chapter 42 and, and 41, he basically tells him, we need a spiritual man to run the country because of the way you interpret the dreams, and I don't know anybody better than you, so I'm going to make you the person who runs the country. I'm going to give you everything. In fact, here is my ring. I'm going to place it in your hand, which means whatever decision you make, it's as if I said it. The only thing I'm not giving you is the chair I sat on as Pharaoh. But everything else, it's yours. So all of a sudden, Joseph sits over the, the largest power of the world at this time. The one who everybody's coming to because all of a sudden famines hit. Next thing you know, he looks up and in walks his brother. Now, he's been in this culture long enough. He's adopted the looks, all the things. He's grown. They haven't seen him since 17. They don't recognize him. And not to mention, even if you thought he looked familiar, like you sold him to a band of gypsies and you had no clue where they are going, and now you're coming behind the highest authority in all of Egypt, save the Pharaoh, you're not really going to put two and two together at that moment. You know what I mean? And so Joseph... Plays a little trickery on him. Puts some things in a saddlebag, shouldn't be there. Takes Benjamin hostage, sends them back to their father. Test to see what's going on. By the way, if you didn't know, guess what? Benjamin is the only pure blood uh, brother that Joseph has. He's the younger brother. Joseph's testing to see. This is how you dealt with the younger brother beforehand. Let's see how you deal with the younger brother now. go back to their father, they relinquish to their father all that's happened in Egypt, they tell him, all of a sudden they come back, they plead with Joseph, they beg with Joseph, they show that they are no longer the men they used to be. Joseph reveals who he is to them, not only does Joseph reveal who he is to them, but he also reveals to his father, there's this semi-emotional reunion that takes place, he moves them to Egypt. Get to chapter 50. In chapter 50, Jacob dies. And Joseph's brothers think to themselves, if ever there is a moment that our brother is going to exact revenge on us for the way we acted, it is now that our dad is dead. They're trembling all of a sudden again, a little bit worried. And we get to chapter 50, and one of the most beautiful verses in all of scriptures here. So we're going to read 
starting in verse 15. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of God of your father. Now, one, we don't know if Jacob actually said this. I'm going to tell you, I don't think he did. I think once again, fear has crept up and they begin to scheme, how do we get out of this? Well, Joseph still loved his father. His father never did anything wrong to him. Let's say it's the dying wish of an old man who he loved that you would not do this. Joseph identifies it, but look what his reaction is. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for I am in the place of God. Now, look at that statement real quick. That is a question mark, not a period. He is causing them to think for a second here. In other words, I'm asking you a rhetorical question. Am I not in the place that God meant for me to be? Remember those dreams way back when? You guys doing all the bowing down, all that good stuff? This is what it was. This is why I'm here. That's why God put me here. In other words, your family would have starved to death had this not happened. Verse 20, as for you right here, you should underline this, memorize it, everything. Every time somebody cuts you off on stupid 820, you should say this, okay? As for you, you meant evil against me. You silly Honda with a loud engine that cut me off. But God meant it for good. He'd mean it for real good if I drove an F-350, because I'd just hop right over that bad boy. I ain't lying. But anyway, <laughs> to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Now, this whole story of Joseph here, like I said, is 15 chapters long. And it's packed with a ton of good stuff. But for y'all's series, as we summed it up, I'm going to give you some points of application here. First off, God's timing is frustrating, but essential. Do you understand that? His timing is absolutely frustrating, but essential. And you're like, well, God didn't do anything frustrating. Oh, yeah? Go ask Abraham in heaven. All right, Lord, so you're going to make me uh, cool. whole bunch of nations, more people than the stars, all that good stuff. Awesome. Hey, Sarah, let's go in the tent, girl. They go in the tent. And they come out, and guess what? She ain't pregnant. Go in the tent again. Come out. She ain't pregnant. One month, two months, one year two years, 20 years. His timing sometimes is absolutely frustrating to us because he will give us from time to time a glimpse of what he's going to do through us and in us and around us, but that does not mean that we are ready for that in the moment. And that's hard. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I'm a very impatient person. I live in a town of 400 stupid thousand people. 
I have to drive by Dallas Cowboys Stadium every morning if I go to work at the church. There's traffic everywhere. It's annoying. There are more people that will stop at the stop sign out here in an hour than the town I grew up in. And Jesus is like, hey, Matt, you know, I know you love it in Coleman. It's great hunting and fishing. That's who you are. Y'all are making money. You go to a great church in Abilene, all that good stuff. Hey, let's go to Arlington. No. <laughs> let's not. I purposefully at the church I'm at preached two sermons. The first two sermons I preached. I came just to fill in and help them. I wasn't coming for no kind of call or nothing. I preached on money both times. I thought, I'm going to make these people so mad. They'll never call me again. <laughs> that backfired. I preached on, in, in the New Testament, the, the widow who gives like everything she has. And I'm like, some of y'all still holding on to stuff. You're not supposed to be. God wants it to grow his kingdom. And they're just sitting there. And I'm like, yeah, this having the desired effect. Here we go. So I leave. And they're like, finish the sermon. Will you come back and preach next week? I'm like, crud. Yes. Sure. I'll come back. I'll help out. But that's it. So I come back the next week. And I'm like, well, we're going to get them this time. Preached on Elijah, you know, with the old lady who just had a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. And Elijah's like, you cook for me, and I don't care if you and your son starve. And I'm like, here we go. I get through, you know what they do? They come up to me and say, hey, we voted on you last week. It was unanimous. We want you to be our pastor. I'm like, Jesus. So help me. I have 300 acres that I get to bow hunt for free. There are more lakes than I can throw a rod and reel in out here, and you're calling me to pavement. This is stupid. They don't even have stars up there. They blink and land at DFW. <laughs> it's annoying. Storms. They don't even hit Arlington. I love thunderstorms. You know what they do? They hit y'all out here in Fort Worth and split, and we get to watch them south and north. So dumb. I was like, Lord are we sure about this? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, all right. Well, I'm going to pull a Gideon. I'm going to put like five things that are impossible out there. And then when you don't do them, I can say, oh, well, you didn't do them. Yeah, he did them in a week. It was real annoying. We rented a house for $275 in Coleman. Two bedroom, one bath, my wife can tell you. Open lot next to it where the kids could play. Had a garage slash man thing on the side. It was nice. I was like, Lord, I ain't paying a penny more to live in that Metroplex. I'm like, that'll do it. Sunk his battleship there. Nope. No, he had to one-up things. I'm going to give you a three-bedroom, one-bath house with a real man cave in the back and a fenced-in backyard and everything for $275 a month. I was like, fine. <laughs> My wife doesn't like the Metroplex anymore. I moved her out here. She was screaming when I drug her, but now she loves it. She's not going. I was like, you make her want to go back. A week later, so when are we going up there? So help me. We don't make enough money for her to stay home. She wants to stay home with the kids. There you go. I knew the church didn't have money. They're like, oh, we were going to fight and scrap, and this is what we're going to pay you. I was like, stupid, call you haul. So anyway, it's just one of those things. Like, like God's timing, sometimes he shows us stuff, and we don't understand it, and we don't want to do it. Like, it just looks crazy. But it's essential. Because guess what? If he gave you, what he showed you in the future in your present season, you'd screw it up. You would. That Bible verse that says, he is a lamp in my feet and light in my path, if you guys ain't figured out, go shut your lights off, get a candle, and see how far you can see in front of you. You'll make it real fun if you got kids. Throw Legos everywhere. <laughs> and do it barefoot. And what will happen is you'll realize, I got 
just enough light to take that next step. And that next step is the step you need to take to get on the path down the road for where you're going, but you just ain't ready for it yet. God's timing is frustrating, but it is essential. Joseph at 17 was not ready to lead the, mo to lead the modern world. He wasn't. We get to the second thing. And listen, I hope you're writing some of this stuff down because it, it's good. You know, they put the Facebook thing out. I'm a good speaker, so write this stuff down. <laughs> In God's school, a setback is merely a setup for a step forward. In God's school, a setback is merely a setup for a step forward. Now, you don't believe me? Let me drop some knowledge on you real fast. When Joseph was 17, he had 10 people underneath him. Benjamin's still young. He's doing his thing, whatever. He's playing with Tonka trucks or whatever. There's 10 other brothers. Joseph's not in charge of them, but we learn he's a little tattletale. He's going out and seeing what they're doing and making sure they're doing things right and acting like he's the boss. And then going back to daddy and reporting what's really going on. Seems like a cush gig. 17-year-old get to tell the 20 and 30-year-olds what to do, and they can know their role. And if not, I'll tell pops. I got the coat that looks cool. They don't. I had the dreams Jesus showed me. They didn't. Leading 10 people. All of a sudden, they throw him in a ditch. All right. They sell him into slavery. Okay, that's a bit of a setback, right? Like I went from telling 10 folks what to do to help. <laughs> There's no food down here. And these traveling gypsies bought him and throw shackles on him, and he's going down the road. Next thing you know, he's on the auction block, and he's getting sold. That, that's a bit of a setback, right? Like, you know. Family problems and slavery don't really sound like a step forward. That's a step back. When Potiphar buys him, notices everything this young man does turns out good. That was a set up. Then he's placed in charge of the entire household. That was a step forward. And now guess what? He is actually teaching and telling everybody what to do and running the house, and it's a whole lot more than just 10 folks. And by the way, these folks can't throw him in a pit. So set back, set up, step forward. And like God always likes to do, history repeats itself. All of a sudden, Potiphar's wife, crazy lady. Mm, that guy looks good. Hey. Master's not around. He made you in charge of everything. Guess what? I'm one of his assets. No, no, you're not. By the way, this chick was fine, too, if you don't know. When you are a prominent status in the mega power of the world, you don't wife up Leah. You wife up Rachel. Okay? So, this is an attractive cougar chasing after him. And all of a sudden, he flees. And what happens? Set back. 
find himself in prison. All of a sudden, the warden realizes everything this dude does works out. Set up. All of a sudden, he's made in charge of everything in the prison. Step forward. He went from 10 people telling what to do to a household now, an entire prison. Guys, if y'all ain't seeing what's going on here, it's pretty cool. Uh, Jesus is growing his leadership skills one problem at a time. Oh, it's cool. You can handle 10 people. That's not enough. Let's make things where you run a whole household. Here's how we're going to do it. Set you back, move you along. Boom, whole household. That's not good enough. We've got bigger plans for you. Let's throw you in prison. All of a sudden, run in prison. Now, in prison, he interprets these dreams. These two guys are supposed to help him out. He helped them out, but they didn't set back. Here are these guys up there out of prison, prominent position. I'm stuck here. They forgot about me. I'm not getting out ever. Set back. Then all of a sudden, Pharaoh has dreams. Set up. Pharaoh go, or excuse me, Joseph goes, interprets his, Pharaoh's dreams. Pharaoh says, now you're going to be top dog over all the land minus me. Step forward. Hear this again. In God's school, a setback is merely a setup for a step forward. There's a whole lot of you in here probably in your job status who are like, why does this stuff keep going wrong? Well, maybe there's a purpose to it. Y'all remember that beautiful story in the New Testament where Jesus tells these disciples, hey, get in a boat, go to the other side. By the way, if you read, there's like cool significance in all this. This is free, not even my notes. You don't have to pay for it when they do the tithe thing, okay? The place he told them to go to actually means infertile land. He puts them in a boat. You know why? Because they didn't understand who he was. He, listen, he's looking at fishermen and he's like, all right. There's a story in a boat previously. There's a storm. They wake him up. He gets up and tells the wind, stop. I could have used this dude in some bass tournaments. I ain't going to lie. But what do they say? They're like, man, what manner of man is this? They didn't say God. They didn't say Savior. They said, what manner of man is this that tells the wind and the stuff to cease? Jesus like, all right, fishermen didn't get it. Let's try a different route. Previous to the story, tell him to get in the boat. He feeds roughly eighteen to 23,000 people. Your Bible says five thousand men women and children included probably 18 to 20 something thousand people gives them the little baskets they understand they're fishermen they know how far fish goes couple fish couple pieces of bread don't feed 20,000 people all right gives them baskets prays over it in their presence they go out they're the ones handing it out and all of a sudden they're like this stuff just doesn't go away it's like i give out five and there's six i give out six and there's eight like what it, this does not make sense it says, I think it's in Mark, it says in the gospel, it says that their hearts were hardened to the point where they didn't understand the lesson of the loaves. So Jesus literally tells them, get in a boat and go to that infertile place over there. And he prays on a mountaintop, and then it says they were in the midst of a boat, and it uses some weird term for storm I never even heard of before. It says Eurocliding. That just sounds scary. I've been a lifeguard my whole life pretty much, and I can swim, and I've been on boats, and I fish, but you tell me I'm going into a Euroclide, and I'm going to shake a little. That sounds scary. 
Like, that's some kind of Harry Potter spell on water or something going on here. I don't know what's going on. Euro Clyden. They get in the boat. They get, and it says that the winds were contrary. Now, if you've ever been in a boat, here's what you do. If it's really choppy and you can't catch fish, you go find a cove because you get out of the wind. But when you're in the middle of the sea and you, the wind's blowing this way, and you're like, fine, let's go with the wind. We'll row that way, and you row that way, and then the wind switches and blows at you. And you're like, well, that, that's odd. Okay, fine, we'll go this way. And you row this way, and the wind changes. We'll try that way, and we can try that way, and the wind's blowing, and we try this way, and it's blowing this way. There's some point in time in your life where something like that happens. You just drop the oars, and you're like, whatever. It is what it is. And then, to make matters worse, then he comes walking on the water. Like, it's bad enough we know we're going to drown, and then here comes a ghost in the middle of the night. Of course, Peter goes on the water with him, starts to drown, he pulls him up, they get in the boat, and then it actually says, if you read, they don't go to the place they were going. They wind up at a different location where if you study the word, it actually is a fertile area where things grow. And skip forward just a little bit of time, and Jesus finally has the opportunity to have a sit down with him, and he says, hey, who do people say I actually am? Peter's like, well, some say you're this, and some say you're this. He's like, no, 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 I don't care what everybody else says. Well, what do you say? I say you're the Christ, the Son, the living God. Ah, we got it. You see, sometimes those moments in our life that feel like everything is going wrong and we can't explain it, it's there for a reason. And it's because you haven't grown up enough spiritually to do what he has for you down the road. And he needs to drag you through that season you're in currently to get you to the point where you can do the things he has for you. And all the while, what do we do? We kick and scream and cry like the disciples in the boat. This sucks. The wind's blowing in every direction. We're going to drown. There's a stinking ghost. Finances aren't lining up. My job ain't going the way it's supposed to. They gave the promotion to that dude, and that dude's the laziest guy there is. I don't understand. Maybe the reason is because God's trying to grow and mature you in a way that you didn't think you needed to for a season you didn't see coming. Now, I think we should go back to, like, normal mics. That way you can drop one on a point like that. I'm just saying. Like, headset off, you know, whatever. Third, lastly. Perspective dictates direction. You get that? Perspective dictates direction. What did he say to them? He said, listen, what you guys meant for evil, God meant for good. He was doing something through all that negative stuff I had to go through. I just had to be obedient. You could rephrase that if you wanted to even. You could even say to God sometimes, like, I don't understand all of this stuff I'm going through, but I, I get there's a purpose to it. There's a reason to it. And my perspective is not going to be, woe is me, this is terrible. My perspective is going to be, teach me in the middle of this that I'm going through so that I don't have to go through it again because I want to learn what it is you're trying to grow through and in me. You get that? Sometimes, put it another way. Do you know that trees don't grow when it's sunny and nice? When it's 85 degrees outside and the sunlight's out, tree just chills. 
You put 60 mile an hour straight winds with hail and rain and lightning and everything else, and that tree's like, here we go. <laughs> it's the same thing with us. You guys, we don't grow when everything's going normal and good. When everything's growing normal and good, half the time we forget about telling Jesus thank you. We get so comfortable in what is taking place. We're like, oh, this is good. I like this. Yeah. But man, you let something bad come along, and all of a sudden we're like, what? And it's in those seasons that we begin to grow. What I'm telling you is you really want to grow, you make sure your perspective is where it should be, and it will dictate the direction you're growing. Joseph in prison not once complains about being in prison. Joseph, when he's thrown into slavery in the pit, not once complains about being slavery and in the pit. This man had integrity and didn't do anything wrong, and yet everything fell apart almost all the time. But his perspective stayed where it should be. He realized that he didn't need to look in the season God had shown him. He needed to look at the season he was in and grow in the season he was in, and as a result, he would wind up in the season God had for him down the road. And because of that, it dictated the direction he went to, and he wound up saving his family, his people, and he actually winds up being what we call a type of Christ, in other words, a pre-New Testament foreshadowing of what Jesus looks like. If you don't believe me, go Google it later. Make sure you read somebody who knows what they're talking about, so maybe don't Google it. But anyway, let your pastor sort out when he gets back. But what you'll find out is there are so many similarities between Joseph and Jesus because he handled things the right way in the season he was turning. Thank you for listening to this message. Our goal is to reach people all over the globe with the good news of God's Word. If you would like to partner with us by making a donation, visit our website at journey-church.com. That's journey-church.com on a PC or laptop and simply click on the Donate tab on our homepage. By partnering with us, you will help us reach the world for the cause of Christ. Allow me to pray for you. Lord, I pray you bless those who have heard your word today. May you also bless their family and those whom you place in their paths. I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.